Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name's Ben and I will be your host. As per usual, I'm joined by Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing this evening? Hi guys, hello everyone. Always a delight to be back of course and a um, bit of a strange week in the Pro League this one. One a bit, little bit low on entertainment perhaps? And in the same time, I'm still on a roller coaster. I'm, I haven't gotten off of it yet. <laughs> no, absolutely, you're right Scott. I think uh, the... Uh, the famous phrase from that that well-known philosopher, Kim Kardashian, came to mind to me. There's that line where she says, where no one wants to work anymore. But in the Belgian Pro League, it's no one wants to score penalties anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I've ever seen a week like it. I think we've had, we just counted four penalties. Absolutely none of them went into the back of the net. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, anyway, let's move on to, yeah, as Scott said, not the most entertaining of weeks, but there was definitely entertainment within some of the games that we saw. Unfortunately, that wasn't on Friday night. Standard Liège nil, Vestalo nil. Charleroi beat Courtreich one nil, which had ramifications for the winless Courtreich. Calvin Mechelen they lost two one to Leuven. Royal Antwerp drew nil nil with Molenbeek. Genk two three all with Saint Ruden. That was there yeah, the roller coaster that Joris was talking about. Circle Bruges lost two nil at home to Union. Anderlecht in Club Rouge two one one, and then Ghent beat Erpen two goals to one. Let's start in Liège. Uh, we probably won't be here for very long because, yeah, there wasn't really a lot happening in this one. Uh, Standard had pretty much most of the possession, most of the, the chances in inverted commas, I guess you could say, weren't really doing much with it. They really did kind of struggle to break down uh, Veselo's rigid, I guess you could say, back line. For them, Sinan Bollock back in between the sticks in place of Nick Gilligan. So it's clear Jonas de Rock's probably, yeah, He's decided that's going to be a switch now. They just looked really, really toothless to me, Resolo. They looked like they didn't really have much idea and they were very, very happy to take a point early on. Just three shots all game. I think they finished with an XG of 0.18, which is, yeah, even if you're not into XG, you know that's low. <laughs> you know that does kind of tell the picture. Standard 14 shots, 0.77 XG. So it kind of backs up what we what you kind of saw there. That it just They never really felt like they were going to score. They did have a couple of really good chances. I think it might have been... Ohio or uh, maybe Ngoy had a really, really good chance to, to score from a header, but he had it over the bar. Defence is on top again, I guess you could say in inverted commas, but for Wrestler guys, this means they're still absolutely winless this season. Just 2.16 million euros, I think they spent this summer. The pressure is really, really starting to kind of mount on, on Jonas Deluca with every kind of passing week where they aren't picking up a win. Um, and the gap is starting to grow as well. Their gap to standard, who are in fourth bottom uh, is already five points standard booed off the pitch at the end of the game as well i think like <laughs> that fan base is just they're still frustrated even with the kind of good performance against urban last week guys they're still they're expecting more than what they saw here but in all honesty i think they should have won it they just needed a little bit more quality in that final third yep you said it ben um not really a lot we can say about this game i don't think um so low was the entertainment on it in fact i think we said that when we were watching it didn't we um interesting to hear carl lufkins this week talking about um well trying to put as positive a spin on this as a result as possible saying we did everything right other than score to so trying to focus on on positives yeah just uh, offensively both sides rather grim to be honest that's probably the best I can say about this game really I can top you it's the first clean sheet for both teams so that's a good uh, positive uh, for for both sides here 
But um, yeah, otherwise, six goals for Standard in eight games now. Uh, for Westerlo, seven. R- regardless of not having had held, a cl- held a clean sheet un- up till now, maybe this result was not completely um, unpredictable. Yeah, also for Westerlo, also I'll try to give it a positive view. Like they at least they did not lose. Otherwise, the gap would have been already eight points until the the twelve spots so the first non-relegation playoff spot. Probably would have hoped to get, to close the gap a little more of course yeah <laughs> that pretty much just sums it up uh to be fair they also kind of had a formation switch gone was the 4-4-2 in its place with a was it a 3-4-2-1 so it's trying to mix it up a little bit i guess but it just it wasn't it wasn't pretty pretty viewing that is for sure however they're not bottom of the league that is the spot reserved for court like they went to charlois it was Ed Steele up against his former club, well, former, former club, if we go beyond Europen to, to before. Just one goal separated the sides in this one. Uh, Marco Ilamalica was the architect, really, really lovely cross to the back post. And Ben's are there to tap it in. Quarter light lose again, 1-0. And that, guys, is the end of Mr. Ed Still. Very, we just want to kind of say thank you, I guess, to, to Quarter Light for making that decision before we started recording. That definitely gave us <laughs> more to talk about from this one and rather than speculate. Um, to be fair to Eddie, he kind of said after the game he knew the results hadn't been good enough, but he was kind of pushing ahead to Circle of Bruges. And we had this moment almost where he was, it was almost going to be kind of like a groundhog day for him because we were at the game last year when he was at Charleroi, went to Circle of Bruges, got absolutely battered and got sacked while we were still in Bruges, I think. A couple of hours later, he doesn't have to suffer that again. But that's kind of, yeah, the end of a, a pretty miserable year, I guess we could say, for Ed. Uh, he did manage to keep open up, but it, it was kind of more down to luck, more down to Zolta Vargem than it was down to the way Erpen played. For Charleroi, it's, I believe it's their, their first win of the season, if I'm not mistaken. Or at least, yeah, they got some more points on the board. A good time for like Ilirayich, as I said, really, really nice cross for him. And Benza as well, I think. Guys, he's probably been one of their better players to start the season. He's looking really, really sharp up there. They've got Zorgan still. So, I don't know. I think this should be a building block for them. Whereas for Kortzleika, I, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. I've got a kind of a, an idea of where they should go next. But I'll hand over to you guys to kind of give your thoughts on, on Ed Still, Charlois and Kortzleika. Well, I think it's fair to say that uh, Felice Mazu will be mightily relieved to get that first win because I think the pressure was building there as well, despite the fact that they weren't actually playing that badly in the opening weeks of the season. So it's it's kind of a big a big moment for them in some respects. And I think on the balance of play, they just about deserved it. Um, I had a feeling this game was going to peter out into a draw, to be honest. Um, so seeing one side come away with the points actually was kind of quite pleasing from from a neutral perspective. Um, Ella Mahitra uh, did have an absolutely great game, I thought. Um, you're right, Ben. Really, really good. Really strong game. Um, I've had kind of slight concerns about the the shallow midfield actually this season. I've not entirely been convinced that the the, the balance is is quite right. Um, but that's just kind of my own personal feelings um, about that. Kertrike, on the other hand, obviously the news being confirmed um, a little over an hour ago that Ed still has been relieved of his duties, um, and of course we were wondering who was going to be the first. Um, under the axe, was it going to be Ed still at Kortrijk or uh, would Jonas the Rocket at Westerlo go first? And uh, Kortrijk have jumped first, obviously winless. The pressure was the pressure was building. 
Um, and I kind of feel for for Ed because you know he, he's come into Kirkrike, um at a time when it's a bit of a shit show for the, the the club to be honest. Chaos with the the Kaminsky Group's um, pantomime acquisition that that wasn't to be, and then obviously Burnley looked like they were coming in. That's now not happening. Um, all of the recruitment has, was on pause during this time. Um, so a really, really destabilizing environment for absolutely everybody at the club. Not, not the foundations to to build or do anything for for anybody. So it's it's a kind of hiding to nothing for him. I really do feel for him. The cruel thing here is actually his last competitive win as a T1 in Belgium was back in February when he was still at Open which is a, a horrible, horrible start and uh, one which I think he will want to forget and hopes that everybody else will forget as well. I think he probably needs a little bit of time out of the game just to kind of recharge his, his, his batteries before before he comes back in, in, in a new incarnation somewhere else. It was waiting for this one. Uh, not really a surprise, I suppose. Um, some more things to add there in Kortrijk, actually, that uh, we could talk about. The, the strange story of Craig Cuthart not, in the end, well, pre- retiring. I think I was also last week uh, still um, after having signed for the club on, on deadline day, I think, just a few weeks ago. And uh, and also still playing international break, even uh, for internationally for uh, what is it Northern Ireland, I believe. So um, yeah, <laughs> that that was interesting. Also the Burnley takeover then not going through. Although I still have some my some 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 gossips that it might still go through after all. But anyway, it's taking a lot, lot more time for sure. Yeah, maybe that will uh, we will see if that will happen uh, if. Uh, the new when the new trainer is announced as well that that might have an impact uh, they might have an impact on that or whoever would take over the club by then on the game itself then yeah i, I fell asleep i'm not gonna lie i actually <laughs> literally <laughs> fell asleep during the game uh, I, I had to watch this game because it was uh, the only one that i could watch in full on saturday but unfortunately i could not manage so uh, I guess that says something about it. Uh, for Charleroi, of course, uh, mainly relief for the first win. In the first half, they, they played quite well. In the second half, they did not, really. And Kortrijk, then, yeah, they had a, a very low expected goals um, in the first half. But at the same time, also, they, they had two balls saved off the line in that first half. So um, that that's... Yeah, it, it expects the goals doesn't always say everything, I suppose. Uh, but they have a horrible record against uh, Charleroi as well in the yeah in the last eleven uh, head-to-head games to, with them. They have not won, and uh, also yeah, Scott uh, mentioned it still that record, but unfortunately it also goes for the club. It's not much better, slightly, but uh, no wins since the 18th of March um, of this year. So um, yeah. Definitely not not an easy job to to yeah to take over now. I mean, they should probably just go cap in hand to uh to burn Stork again, shouldn't they? And be like, do you think you could come back? Because <laughs> he's the only one that seemed to get that time team playing last season and kept them up. It's funny you should say that, Ben. Actually, just when you bring him up, because uh, he was actually spotted in Kortrijk. I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and there there were whispers. Um, and the official line, I think, was no, no, he's he's just stay. Uh, he's come back to pick up some some things from from where he was staying. So you know, stranger things have happened. <laughs> I don't know what those things were. <laughs> I just I was got to push him in like 
contracts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pick up the old deal and sign it again. I think he's the kind of the, the sort of person they might need. I, 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 I do feel bad for him because I just feel like their whole recruitment was a complete mess this summer. And then it's like, here's a bunch of random players getting playing and. I mean that is is difficult. Like even over the summer, if the the squad's not kind of made up properly, and I don't really think it's that balanced as it is anyway. And then yeah, the Cathcart thing. I think it's that perfect storm, isn't it? Where like the takeovers, the fake takeover that never happened. This whole Cathcart, he's there for fifteen days and decides actually no, I don't want to play football anymore. I want to spend more time with my family, which is completely fair enough. But it's kind of like you hope you'd make that decision maybe before you signed a contract uh, with a Belgian team that because we don't know if that was like we don't well, obviously we don't really know the ins and outs of their recruitment but did that mean that they weren't going after another target they could have gone for because they thought they had him so there's all those kind of things but yeah good luck I guess to whoever takes that over because it's just it's not a great situation at the moment and yeah Vincent Tan kind of needs to to sort some things out and maybe he's gonna have to lower his asking price to find another investor because at this moment in time, if Burnley aren't going to take it over, it's just it's just under him. It's not going anywhere. Um, it's just completely killing a club that, yeah, we've seen it so many times in Belgium when teams do uh, run into trouble like this and then they, it can very quickly spiral out of control. Um, Joris mentioned that he fell asleep during this one. Scott probably wished that uh, Mechelen and Leuven was just a nightmare that he didn't ever have to, to watch again because... Within two minutes, Leuven were ahead in uh, Mechelen. Completely nicked the ball off them in the midfield. Leuven sat back quite nicely, actually picked the ball up. Ball through to Nsingi. He finds Torsteinsen, who's just sprinting through. He runs through to score within two minutes of the start of the game. Mechelen then have a great chance to equalise. It's cleared off the line. Leuven go all the way down the other end. Torsteinsen gets taken up by Sandy Walsh. Referee doesn't give a penalty, which, I mean, on the replay, I saw I was quite surprised he didn't give it. Um, looked quite a clear penalty to me. VR came in and they did get the penalty. However, as we said before, no one scored any penalties this weekend. So, till Steinson taps up, but uh, Gaetan Cook makes a really, really smart save to his left-hand side to keep it at 1-0. Mechelen keep pushing, but then they're caught again. This time it's Yusuf Maziz, who scores really nicely to make it 2 just before the break. And... It looks, yeah, not great for Mechelen at that point. However, they come out of the, the uh, halftime break a little bit better. And Rabti finds Fluke. Uh, he does some quite nice work before tucking it in to score his first goal. He's got a bunch of assists, but yeah, he got a goal as well. However, they could not get back into the game and it ended 2-1 to Leuven. We saw a bit of Norman Bassett at the end. Jeffrey Hermans was chucked on as well. Well, interesting guys that Mark Bryce went with Nsingi over Jonathan Bratbloons. Um, but I am quite liking the look at that Maziz Torsteinsen kind of little midfield in behind whatever striker they play. I just think that is a, a two that are packed with goals, especially without Matthew Mertens as well, who kind of usually would operate in there and would be a very, very good goal scorer for them in those situations. It's kind of, it gives them that extra firepower that they're kind of lacking in the striking department. But a really kind of a very good win for Leuven moves them out of the bottom four. For Mechelen, uh, a lot of frustration from Stephen DeFore about the refereeing, but he did then kind of say... Even without the referee, we probably should have done a lot better than we did. 
Yeah, it's funny the old uh, the old referee smokescreen coming out when your own team's performance simply wasn't good enough. Really, um, that's that that that's my spin in it. Um, I I thought they had lots of the ball, Mechelen. Um, their distribution wasn't particularly good. They just didn't use it well enough, um, or even create enough opportunities really to deserve getting anything out of this game. Really, really frustrating. Patrick Fluck, who is um, and not just because he's a Mechelen player, obviously, and everyone knows I have a, a quite a big soft spot for Mechelen um, is is a player that I, I'm becoming a pretty big fan of very, very quickly. I like his, his appetite and um, his attitude and kind of just what he brings to the team dynamic here. You know, he's, he's a real team player and, and must be a big player in the dressing room as well, I think. You know, he's always communicating and, and motivating players on the pitch and he's, he's a really interesting player to watch. Great goal he scored, um, looking to provide. He He's a hugely important player for them now, which made it even more strange for him to come off um, after only 64 minutes, especially after um, kind of pulling one back, a player who who's at the moment one of the few positive driving forces you know, in the team, actually, and, and bringing something on a reasonably consistent basis, I think. So that was an odd one. And I know there was a lot of Mechelen fans who were really unhappy with that substitution. Um, a lot of booing at half time as well, you know, when they went in 2-0 uh, down. That that second Leuven goal in particular was, and, and I said this to you guys at the time, pathetic, absolutely pathetic goal to concede, you know, no challenges, you know, waltzed right through the centre um, of of defence is as easy as it gets. Just you know, a coach's nightmare to be honest. Um, Stephen Defoe, obviously, as Ben was saying, you know, had had quite a lot to say about the referee afterwards. In fact, after the game, the first thing he did was head up to the referee to have a little chat. And of course, you know, it's not unusual for coaches to approach referees and shake their hands straight after a game at all. But I, I think there was a there was a little bit of a pretext from that from from Stephen's point of view. But yeah, Mecklen's simply not good enough, and Leuven actually um, bringing uh, an efficiency to their game that, that's been missing for a long time. And you're right to, to highlight that partnership between Mazis and Thorsteinsen because um, it is looking quite good, and Thorsteinsen's starting to look like a really settled player there, like he's been there for a lot longer than he actually has. Um, plenty of back chat from him as well with the goal that was eventually chopped off, slightly controversially, I thought. Brilliant, brilliant finish. Punishing him, by the way, on the break as well, um, really punishing Mecklen. So he was really unfortunate um, to, to to have that chopped off through through no fault of his own. But yeah, things looking a little bit better for Levin this week. Yep, they continue the team. Uh, they take the seven points after the last possible nine. So that's uh, like I said at the time, just in time to to uh, to rack up some points and all. For the time being, very early days, of course, still. But um, yeah, that, that seems to be the case as well. Um, and yeah, that uh, and Singi started indeed was a, was also one of the things I was noting. His first start of the season, and in the second minute, he done gives an assist already. So not a bad way to to pay him back for the confidence that he gives in you, I guess. Uh, and that in a week where they also lost Rika until the winter after the winter break, most likely is the most realistic option. He said. Well, while they're not that thick in the in their defense there, uh, and while they had changed to the three at the back with Rika um, as well, which now they still maintain those, so uh, they they survived that first game without him there. Let's see how they cope with that in the remainder of his absence, and um, yeah, if that holds up. Uh, but 
in this game, it did well enough. Mechelen, yeah, the ball of the line and then conceding a penalty at the other side. That was a, the, that, that what could have been a pivotal moment already, but then Kuka saved uh, the penalty from Thorstenson uh, and that initiated the, the team of this weekend. Well, one of the teams of this weekend of goalkeepers saving penalties as well. Well, disappointing loss for Mechelen, of course. These are the games that they should win more of. Yeah, definitely. And... For Leuven, yeah, three on the bounce, unbeaten, beating Kodrike, beating Mechelen, joining with Ghent. Like that, if they'd, you'd offered them that at the beginning of that run of three games, they'd have definitely taken it. So, signs of life finally uh, for Leuven, which is good to see for their fans. Let's go to more penalty misses, this time Antwerp against Molenbeek. Um, we will talk about Antwerp in the Champions League a little bit later on when we do a European wrap up, but. Mark Van Bommel did come out after this game and said this was more frustrating than getting absolutely battered by Barcelona during the week. Nil-nil they drew with Molenbeek, but they had two glorious chances to take the lead. Both of them missed by Vincent Jensen. Well, both of them saved. Let's say they've been saved by Defourney in the Molenbeek goal. To kind of sum up how this game went, Antwerp had 72% of the ball to Molenbeek's 28%. They had 14 shots to Molenbeek's five. They did have pretty much everything going for them in this game, but they just could not find the back of the net. Janssen's first penalty, I thought was, yeah, it was a a little bit soft, the decision, but Defourney made a great save to his left. For the second one, it looked more clear-cut as a penalty. Defourney kind of guesses that Janssen's going to switch it up a bit, dives to his right and manages to make the save. And then, thankfully for him, a defender was on hand to clear the ball after that because, yeah, for some other goalkeepers this weekend, there wasn't anyone on hand. But I think for for Molenbeek, yes, they may not have had much of the ball, but this is a result that they are going to be more than happy to take considering what their ambitions are this season. You combine this with when they've obviously beating Circler last time out, drawing with Standard Liège, then they draw with Antwerp. I think it's a nice kind of return after that 7-1 defeat to Club Bruges. It shows that they can be a bit more resolute defensively and they can keep a clean sheet at least, even if they were incredibly lucky that Janssen missed both of those penalties. Quick question there, guys. Do you think he'll be taking the next one that Antwerp get? Or do you think once you've had two, that's it, you've got to hand it over to someone else? <laughs> it was, it's funny you asking that because I was just about to pose the same question. Um, well, I think um, Mark Van Bommel's got a decision to make. The, the decision he has made is that Alderweireld and Janssen must decide among themselves. <laughs> so. it's, it's interesting, actually, because... Um, you know, with a, with a, a question like that hanging over a coach, I always quite like a coach to come out and be quite strong about it and kind of make a decision. And, and Van Bommel basically saying, well, you know, the guys can sort it out themselves, <laughs> essentially, is a little bit worrying. But um, I do understand why he's done that. And it's not just because um, he's a Dutch coach and Dutch coaches quite like taking that approach. Um, so that's probably got a lot to do with it. My notes in this game, incidentally, I've got two notes here. One says Antwerp should have won it, no doubt, with an exclamation mark. Um, but then you don't really deserve to win if you if you miss two penalties, aside from what else happened in the game. And uh, uh, Molenbeek happy with another exclamation mark. They are now uh, sitting on 11 points after seven games. And I think if you'd offered that to them before the start of the season, they would have absolutely bitten your hand off. They, they've been managing to pick up points in games where you also wouldn't expect them to as well, I think, this being one of them. Um, so this is a this is a huge point. Um, 
you know, in, in, in lots of regards. And they would have taken that kind of all day long, I think. So, you know, their, their decent form um, continues. Yeah, and well, Antwerp should have won the game. They only had three shots on target, and we know which what two of the shots were. So I'm not sure if that's also, well, even is the, an argument. A missed start by Antwerp, but I think they are a little bit lucky that they're not the only one in this position, uh, that there's no real runaway team yet, even though one of the teams we'll be discussing later on is taking a little bit of advantage yet, but... Um, it could have been worse. With uh, well, also they haven't. Uh, the three of their last four uh, league games uh, were draws, so they are dropping some points already early in the season. But again, they're not the only ones. Uh, there's there's no damage, no real damage done yet. Uh, a few things will get clearer in the upcoming month or so for Antwerp and for teams around them uh, in the whole league, I suppose. And for Molenbeek, indeed, another point added. They'll take that any day, especially with the Fournier. Um, saving two penalties. It uh, it was. Did you see it in the second penalty? He was pointing where Janssen should put it, and he won the psychological battle there. <laughs> I found that funny. <laughs> that, uh, Janssen put it exactly where he, he said that he would, well, or pointed that he wish, would give it. Yeah, he definitely did, and it's it's nice to be talking good about goalkeepers, isn't it? They uh, often get called out for some of their mistakes, but this week most of them, yeah, had something good to talk about. One that didn't unfortunately was playing in St. Trudian against Genk in the derby on Sunday afternoon. This started out terribly if you're a Genki. Well, it started out terribly after half an hour um, between a space of 31 and 37 No, 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 no. It started off terribly (laughs) straight away. Otherwise, you just do looking at the scoreline. It was way... No, it it started really bad anyway, regardless of the (laughs) scoreline. Yep. So, Sudan playing that new brand of football just completely took the game to Genk and it took them until the 31st minute before Abubakari Koita was just given too much space to cut inside and make it 1-0. He then made it 2-0 in the 36th minute with an absolute rocket from the edge of the box after a free kick was cleared on the edge of the box to him. 37th minute, literally a minute later, uh, he was given a tap in the... He he almost messed up because I don't know why he took so many touches, but he then did kind of dink it over Van der Voort to make it 3-0 to St. Truden going into the break. However, at half-time, Vortefanger did make some substitutions. Tolu Olakadare came on. Patrick Hazowski came on. Hazowski would go on to get two assists in this one. But first off, it was Bilal El Canus in the 58th minute who got Genk one goal back. 71st minute, really, really nice kind of chest control from Olakadare in the box. Ball came into him, he brought it down, put it past Suzuki into the back of the net. Initially given offside, it was really, really tight, but the goal was given. So at that point, St. Juden like, oh no, here we go again. This is kind of exactly like their game against Gent, where they went 2-0 up and then they're about to throw it away. Pencil in the 85th minutes takes a speculative shot. Suzuki just has to not do what he did. Basically, it would have been fine. He just flaps it into the back of his net and it's just heartbreaking for him. Heartbreaking for St. Sudan, but for, for Genk, it's a nice little get out of jail. And it's kind of built off the back of a, another kind of comeback draw that they got uh, during the week against Fiorentina. But Joris, I know you've probably got a lot more to say about this one because unfortunately I could 
completely missed this game. Uh, I just saw the goals going in on my phone. I just got <laughs> a ridiculous amount of notifications for Coiter's hat trick within the space of whatever was that like six minutes. And I was like, "What is going on?" <laughs> Went away, came back, and opened my phone. I had more notifications that had finished three all. So I don't, I don't know where you want to start yours with the terrible first half and then the comeback in the second. It's just like a weird one of like, well. Is this good? Is this bad? Is this really bad? Like, uh, where do you, how do you read it? That's indeed a difficult question. I guess we can only read it, even not only at the after the back of this game, at the back of this game, but have to see how it goes in the upcoming weeks. Um, whether the dropped points are as important as they are, uh, or they can be, or if the comeback itself actually is a con- encouraging sign. I'm I'm getting sick of the I'm coming back and and fighting for that draw though lately. That's uh, it, that and feeling like the draw is actually winning the game while they're actually still draws, of course. So that that still implicates too many dropped points both in Europe, um, although I can live with the draw against Fiorentina, but we'll I'll talk about that later on, of course, but uh, yeah, but also in the in the league. Um, yeah, it's, it, but it's it, I'm happy to see the fighting spirit. I'll, I'll, I'll try to give it a positive spin anyway as well, but um, I will first start with uh, giving uh, Sintraden and, and Fink the credit they deserve for that first half. Fink really was beating Franke tactically in that half or Franke did not approach it uh, well enough anyway. Uh, did, uh, did not expect. I don't think he expects Sintraden to be that good even though we already seen and I know he definitely will have known that they, that they are a different team than last uh, year around and that they can do this to two teams. But um, it, it was really a shameful performance uh, from one side and first Interada. And of course, that also means they, they really had their pawns in the right places and, and running 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 them ragged. Um, like Ito, I found really impressive in the in midfield. Koita, yeah, that hat-trick, that's the second fastest hat-trick uh, ever in the Belgian league as well. Yeah, once... I, I was already complaining. I, I don't think I was already complaining again uh, with you guys in before the first goal game, but I I could have written a long uh, a, a lot of complaining messages there. But that they were yeah, I think we were really nowhere. They were always second. The quality on the ball was not there. Then the fight was not there. The fight might have been there, but they were just second second best on most balls. Completely deserved um, lead for Sintrada, but of course. A lead or a nil three lead is still a different uh, story, of course. Koita, that get that first goal, really quick movement, quick shot as well. Um, yeah, even though it still went in relatively centrally, but yeah, it, not much that Van der Voort could do there. I think the, the reaction time was so, so too difficult. And that second goal, well, yeah, yeah, just what a strike. <laughs> it's a bit of a it, in this, in the grand scheme of things, maybe a little bit of a lucky one because it's a deflected, well, or a free kick that bounces back, and he's unmarked. But how he takes that one is just incredible. Uh, what was it, 110 kilometers an hour, I believe, uh, that it went in? Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Again, not much you can do about that. Third one, yeah, there the mistakes are, of course, before that the the whole defense were uh, outplayed after losing one duel around midfield, I believe it was even, and on the sideline. Yeah, that that can't happen. On the other hand, I am relatively happy. Well, I am happy that they came back um, for sure. Still no home win uh, in the league since the 30th of April for for Yank. That's uh, that's another reason why I'm still not super happy with anything um, that is not a win at home at the moment. Also, no derby wins since 2021 for Yank either. Most of them have been draws, but 
yeah, nonetheless, as normally the bigger club of in these confrontations, that's uh, still not a good sign. Um, and uh, equal with Antwerp, so uh, like what I, whatever I said about Antwerp missing their start a bit, it definitely also goes for Genk. And the same thing also still counts as well, of course. Yeah, it's still, it's not a, dram- a dramatic start yet, but um, in the, the upcoming weeks will show which, uh, which way the season could go. Yeah, well... Four goal, four goals on uh, Friday and Saturday games, and six goals in this one on Sunday. That was a promising start, though. Um, but yeah, happy with the the goal for Bilal Elkanus. Razovski indeed made a good appearance. Tolu Elkanus' goal actually was also a really great one, albeit really narrow. Uh, whether it was a side or not, that's a second week in a row they they got a bit lucky, uh, and also uh, yeah, okay, with Painsel one. That's, of course, a bit of a lucky one uh, with Suzuki misjudging that ball completely, despite him actually having... had, having had a great game up to up to there, he already had saved a few good balls uh, um, a header from Painsil, I believe it was as well, or was it Bonsuba? Also, anyway, shot from Bonsuba and, a, and another header from Tolu as well. Um, yeah, he really... Until then, he had held them in the game or in the lead. Then uh, I think it's it still had a big uh, influence on it being a draw. Ultimately, we would have thought that about after the first 45 minutes, of course. But ultimately, you, I think you could still say that 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 he did get, get them that draw. And Sinterada probably will feel a bit frustrated as well that it's happened again. Uh, especially Koita, of course, uh, scoring a hat-trick and still not winning. But also after done uh, a similar thing to to hint in the the way game there where they drew 2-2 after uh, also going in front uh, with two goals uh, at that time of course now it was even three goals but but yeah Sintrada on the other hand they also still at the ex- exact same uh, amount of points which uh, which is 12 so that's uh, that's definitely for them that's really a good start and if they can keep up anything of that form and maybe I don't know if it's something physical or it has maybe to do with a little bit of inexperience of some players can can hold on and hold out games um, that so that they can compete at the same level for 90 minutes uh, or at least long enough so that the game is won. Maybe they, they they're really in for a good season, but um, yeah. Interesting. They're definitely also an interesting side to watch, which is already an improvement for, in comparison to other uh, the previous seasons. I think I guess you could say. Well, who would have thought that Abubakari Koita would be top scorer um, at this point in the season? I, I certainly wouldn't have put uh, any money in that at all. You're always guaranteed um, the odd screamer from him um, every season. But um, are we starting to see some signs of consistency? It's interesting because one of the things that made me, um, questions I came away from this game uh, this weekend was um, he's obviously kind of quite comfortable playing under Fink and he's allowing him to express himself. So he's obviously enjoying the environment he's in. Clearly he's responding to that um, much better. But arguably one of the games of his life, actually. Could have had more than three in this game as well if he'd just been a little bit more clinical, as as Ben was hinting at um, earlier as well. Um, Joris was talking about the kind of tactical battle, particularly in the first half. He's right. I think, you know, St. Truden really bossed that midfield. They really got a grip of the game, um, cut through Genk on a number of occasions, and it could have been could have been worse than three at halftime. Really, um, 
painful, painful stuff to kind of come out of that game, uh, being 3-0 up at half-time and, and still not winning it. Um, huge disappointment etched on Torsten Fink's face after that game. But the person who who had the most disappointment on his face, obviously, was was Suzuki. Um, that goalkeeping howler was, yeah, it was it was a bad one. You know, the, the, the ball comes in and I wasn't quite sure what had happened at first, but um, w- when you watch it back two or three times, you can see the actual indecision. You know, I think he, he goes to try and catch it and then he changes his mind um, and then he's not sure whether to catch it or tip it over, by which point it's kind of too late and it just kind of he falls back into the net with it. So a real horror show for there for him, which is such a shame because um, he's he's been brilliant since he came in and it's been the first kind of blot, um, uh, first blot in his copybook. Um, he's he's been he's been so good. So you know, hopefully he'll get over that quickly. But it was it was it was really quite sore to see him actually in full time, kind of sink to the ground, um, and you know, beating beating the turf with his fists, uh, and then being consoled by some of his teammates. I think he felt that particularly personally that you know the points had been thrown away, um, because of his mistake more than anything else. And you know, football's funny; the the margins are so thin sometimes. Fair play to Rankin, by the way, as as Joris was saying earlier um he did get some calls wrong i think in 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 the first half his substitutions did make quite a big difference they certainly showed up the midfield they were much better in the second half much more effective um all over the pitch actually so um he kind of redeemed himself to a certain extent but he was he was the ice man at full time out of rank and i think he was just pleased that they managed to, to to rescue a point um after really what was a very very mixed day for them on the whole yeah hopefully suzuki will bounce back i think it was also interesting for those who are keeping an eye on the St. Trudon Strike Force pecking order, I guess we could say, which is probably just me. Joselfo uh, Barnes didn't come until the 90th minute, but we did see Kave Zari Hero Leslam, uh, the kid that came over from the US uh, oh. university side. So is he now above Barnes in the pecking order for strikers? It'd be interesting to see how that goes or, yeah, what uh, that says for the future of the strike force there but I think Kai is probably still the the number one option for them at this moment in time but Koita yeah six goals so far this season he is two away from his best ever season and he's got a lot of time to do it so I mean he should definitely get there the way he's playing this season um someone else who's looking pretty good in front of goal is Union Saint-Gerard striker Amura the new man uh got underway got himself underway uh midweek again against Toulouse. We'll talk about that game a little bit later. Definitely earned the start that he got against Circle of Bruges. He gave Union the lead within 15 minutes. Uh, slight deflection on this one, carrying it past Varlison to make it 1-0. Uh, Circle did have a couple of chances, but Maurice made a pretty decent save. There's some fantastic defending from the Union backline to deny, um, I think it was, Hugo CK on one of the rebounds from a set piece. Um into the second half, Union caught Circular on the break. Amura running through. I think Rollison should have done a lot better with this one. He's had a decent start to the season, but I think, yeah, he kind of, he didn't really fully smother the ball or kind of make himself big enough to stop the ball going through. And it kind of rolled in from Amura to make it 2-0. And that is pretty much how this one finished as well. Although near the end, Senni Miange did get himself sent off. Came on in the 53rd minute, got booked in the 56th, sent off in the 82nd. So a brief outing for one of their more experienced defenders. 
Um, I have to say, guys, from what I've seen of Amora, I just he's just got Dante Vanze vibes written all over him for me, uh, especially in the midweek game against Toulouse. It just felt very Dante Vanze, kind of the way he ran with the ball, off the ball, all that sort of stuff. Um, slightly kind of like unconvincing finishing that he does have, like those midweek goals were really well taken, but then these are a bit more scuffed efforts that still found the back of the net. So I think they've definitely seem to have kind of he just seems like that sort of mold of striker that they they obviously lacked when Van Zier left and then obviously Adingal also left as a kind of more the smaller quicker sort of striker to play alongside a big man like Nilsson but really really good result for Union that stops a little bit of kind of like a poor run or form that they were on uh for their own kind of standards for Circa that is two defeats on the bounce both by both conceding two goals in that space of time as well, but not too much to worry about because, yeah, obviously Union are one of the sides that will be challenging near the top of the league, you'd expect, at the end of the season. So, yeah, good one for Union off the back of European results. Just probably a little bit of frustration for Circle that they weren't really able to kind of harm Union as much as they would have liked to. Yeah, really strong, uh, efficient performance from Union and very, very few teams... Um, go to the Jan Bridal um, and basically beat Circle at their own game. Um, the intensity and the aggression of their play, um, you know, of Union's play was brilliant. I mean, these sides, and we've we've touched upon this a few times over the last couple of years, actually, um, both these sides generally play quite a similar game, or at least try to. And when, when these two meet, I, I always get a little bit excited because I think, OK, we're going to see lots of offensive football and lots of opportunities, uh, which we did again here. Um, Union really clinical with theirs. And normally it's Circle who, when they're playing sides, they're, they're right down your throat and um, trying to really squeeze you on transitions. And this is, this is how this game turned, but in Union's favour, Circle losing key duels and key areas the pitch, uh, which kind of led to key moments. Um, so it was really interesting to see a side school circle in, in, in their own school, um, if, if you like. One quite concerning thing for circle I, I've noticed is that they they do uh, take a lot of shots in games um, and their their shot count number is is amongst the highest in the league still, um, albeit we're only eight, eight match days in. But what I've noticed looking at the numbers is that the quality of those shots has been dropping recently. So just under a quarter of those shots um, are actually uh, on target. This is the total number of shots. And this weekend, they only had six shots in this game and only one of them was actually on target. So they're, they're, they're kind of offensive on target uh, prowess is is dropping despite Kevin Denke generally performing well at the moment and that that should be a, a real note of concern to them I think because they obviously are reliant on, I was talking about high turnovers and transitions in key areas of the pitch, something they're normally very good at, you know if that's not happening for them and even when it does their, um, their, their on-target offensiveness and efficiency seems to be dropping a bit, then that suggests, you know, s- some other issues somewhere. So that that's something, obviously, for their data team, I think, to have a much closer look at because that that would be a concern to me and symptomatic of, of perhaps a bigger problem um, coming as well. I noticed as well that recently... Um, 
Gaboho hasn't been starting as often as he is as he had, and I don't know whether there's an issue there of, of of some kind or not. But that's kind of a slightly strange one to me because I think he offered quite a good offensive threat and was was a good link up um, player um, for them. Um, so I, I'm wondering if there's any kind of link between you know him not featuring as often from the start and 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 perhaps. Uh, the offensiveness, uh, the the efficiency, sorry, kind of dropping slightly. That's just a, a question I, I would throw out there. But yeah, strong performance from Union, and they they will be delighted with that because that is not an easy place to go. And they needed a win, of course, as well after three games without three league games without. And um, yeah, you know, actually, you guys touched on everything I wanted to say as well. Indeed, one only one shot on target for Sigler, uh, two losses in a row as well. So uh, yeah. Um, Nothing to be worried about just yet, but uh, this uh, they they also need to be a bit uh, we're wary that they don't go down a slum, and, uh, and uh, on the other side, indeed, a very lively. Uh, I, I I've had written it down Amura, and well, I guess lively is indeed what you would say about a, a, a type of uh, Van Zer, so uh, like Van Zer. So yeah, that's definitely um, something to to yeah to have an eye out on he had a great start in the league and let's see if uh, if he can continue that form as well of course it's still early days uh, to to really uh, make a good profile out of him or yeah to to see how how good he actually is but he has had a great start with now already three goals in uh, three games for for union of course yeah that's always a good start for a striker if you start doing that and i think he's going to become one of the fan favourites, judging by their reaction to him so far this season. Let's go to Brussels, where it was just very, very Danish this week, wasn't it? Uh, it was every, everything in this game was Danish, basically, everything that well, happened. P- pastries, pastries or nationalities are both. <laughs> yeah, probably both. I'm sure there were some, some Danish pastries being served in the... Uh, in the posh seats uh, for Peter Schmeichel, who was there obviously to watch Kasper Schmeichel make his debut for Anderlecht. Uh, we'll talk about what that means for for Dupe um, after. I'm interested to see what you guys think because, yeah, obviously that was one of one of the things we touched on a little bit last last week. Uh, it was Anderlecht's Dane who got uh, the first kind of First real moment of this one, Kasper Dolberg tapping in in the 40th minute to make it 1-0 to Anderlecht uh, after, um, yeah, it was from Sardella, like the ball came over. Unfortunately, he then picked up an injury, so had to go off injured at halftime. Another Dane in Delaney had to go off after he's been confirmed he broke his collarbone. So they had lost two of their Danes. Um, They then allowed, uh, this is Anderlecht in the second half, allowed another Dane to... Just run with the ball wherever he wanted to. In Philip Zinkanagel, absolutely no pressure put on him whatsoever. He found Skovolson, who had far too much time and space to smash in to make it 1-1. If you don't know, Skovolson is also Danish as well. <laughs> so it was just Danes. Danes everywhere, to be honest. Uh, I, I guess kind of I, I watched most of the second half of this one. And the thing that kind of really struck me was just it felt like there was real lack of any quality on the ball. Like that moment from Zinkanagel was... And that Olsen goal, that was kind of the moment of real quality. But it just felt very, very scrappy, very, very bitty. Kind of summed up by Hazard had a glorious chance to score for Andrex, just smashed it over the bar. And it felt like, yeah, like no one's really taking this game and trying to like just make it into a more a more exciting game. 
uh, a more kind of quality filled game. Like, Amuzu was definitely trying. He, you could tell he really fancied himself against um, Tabat, the right back for Club Bruges, but I thought he kind of stuck to his task quite well. Amuzu would outpace him at times, but then his kind of final ball or final shot just wasn't really good enough. Decision-making wasn't wasn't too great either. So finishes 1-1. Scott, I know you weren't massively impressed with the topper as people were, were labelling it. Um, but yeah, it was just very, very Danish. And I don't know don't know what that says, but it wasn't, wasn't the best game from either side, I think, safe to say. Yeah, generally a disappointment. Um, this fixture on the whole um, always has a has a big build-up to it for, for reasons that we all kind of know a lot about already. Um, but generally, in truth, in, in, in recent years, it has been very disappointing. Um, the first half, uh, particularly the first 20 minutes of the first half, uh, Anderlecht were, were, were pretty decent, actually, uh, in complete control of the game, creating some opportunities, applying some pressure, um, Brian Reimer did actually say afterwards that he thought that it was possibly the best 45 minutes he's seen since coming to Anderlecht, which surprised me a little bit because although in the first half, on the whole, they were they were pretty decent, um, you know, considering the performance the previous week away at Kartrike, um, where he was he was not a happy man at all, and, and rightly so. I I expected them to be a lot better this week, and actually on the whole, I didn't think they were. I thought in the first half they were decent, um, and just about worthy of their of their of their lead um, at half time. But in the, in the second half, it was almost like they didn't turn up. Really, it was, you know, they seemed kind of like a side content trying to, to you know to play a one nil win to be honest. Um they just allowed club to kind of come back into the game, I felt, and the game sort of petered out thereafter. Um I didn't really feel like club were going to equalise at any point either, but they, they managed to. Great hit from from Scott Olsen's Ben was saying really good finish. Hits it early um, well placed, didn't didn't leave Smeichel much of a chance. The Smeichel story is probably the big talking point kind of around this game actually um, it was a big surprise to to well, everyone outside of the club anyway, I think, obviously it was, was um, it? well, I, I think it had been kind of hinted at, you know, there'd been chat, you know, since the previous week hasn't there, of course, there'd been, there'd been the issues ongoing that the club had kind of played down, I think as soon as news broke that, that kind of Peter Smeichel was in the house as well, That that's what can Firm to me that actually there was a there was a sense inside the club and in certain Anderlecht circles that this this was not a late decision and that this was the plan kind of all week really um, because Dad had been given a heads up to kind of come over come over for the game obviously I thought Smeichel had a decent game actually um, wasn't made to work too hard to be fair um, you would have expected him to to maybe be a little bit more busier than he was um, in, in in such a big um, fixture. But yeah, on the, on the whole, a, a disappointment. And it'll be interesting to see how Anderlecht now cope with some of these injury worries. Um, the Dolberg issue, um, don't quite know how bad that's going to be yet. Um, the Delaney one, I think, is just a silly one. He actually flew into two needless tackles in, in a really silly way, both of them, within the space of a couple of minutes. And for me, effectively, injures himself. I, I just, just daft stuff. Amuzu uh, impressed me a lot. Ben's right. I think some of his decision making was a little bit suspect at times, but generally speaking, um, I, I thought he was he was looking really bright um, and 
bright in the right areas of the pitch as well. So that that that's encouraging. But you know that's that's been a trend all season. He's been he's been looking kind of pretty decent. So yeah, I mean, a draw ultimately um, a fair result, and Ronnie Dyla would have taken that all day long, as as would any manager going into um, one of your big rivals' dens like that, and and kind of coming away with a point when your own side doesn't play particularly well either. On Schmeichel, well, I guess that was really not that much of a surprise to to me, and I think actually to many people, because latest when he was sitting next to Fredweg in Kortrijk last week, it was quite clear that's not a position where you usually would sit if it, things were not very clear from the beginning. On Riemer, yeah, you can see what a contract extension does with you again. Uh, <laughs> one one week you're, uh, well, finally a bit more realistic and, and, and not sugarcoating things. And the next week you got an extension and you go back to that, <laughs> I guess. But, um, yeah, Anderlecht had only one shot on target. They were very efficient, uh, for sure. They're, it's a third draw in a row as well, so they're in a bit of a weird streak. But, uh, yeah, it's, again, one of the teams of the season. I think that so far there's a lot of draws, which is one of the reasons why there's not really uh, a, one team, really, or a few teams running away from other to, from all the other sides as of yet yeah on the, on the on the topic of draws it's also the seven draws between those two teams in the last eight encounters so if, if you're a betting man you also know where you should put your money on Skov Olsen scored his fifth goal of the season already which is uh, quite impressive of course given that he's not an out-and-out striker but uh, is uh, definitely a, a, a key factor in Gulbrigge's uh, side this season, as you would expect, um, of course. With him, we always have to see a little bit, I guess, since uh, the succession of games uh, is coming now. Um, if he, um, if he can, yeah, keep performing at this level, or that he, or if he can feature all the, as much as he wants uh, as well, because he has had his own fitness issues in the past already, of course, but. Um, yeah, so far he's definitely not showing any signs of weakness on that front, and and let's hope for him that it that he and for the club uh, that they, that he can keep performing like he's at the moment, or at least providing these statistics. That not that much to say about his game. Indeed, it was a, a bit of a disappointing game, but um, a draw, a fair result, I suppose. All, all in all, yeah, no, definitely agree with everything you guys have said, and I think slightly concerned that if Dolberg is out, well. I'm, Maybe not concerned, but I'm intrigued to see more of Luis Vasquez because I didn't really think much of him when he came on. I didn't really, uh, he just didn't seem to be able to get the ball down very well, and like it just looked a bit awkward in everything he was trying to do. So I'm gonna put that down to like not having had much game time recently. Um, but we're interesting to see kind of more more of him and what what he's like kind of actually good at because I'm sure he's good at things. Uh, we just didn't really see much of it in this one. Hopefully, for Dolberg's sake, it's not too too much of a bad one because I mean he has got four goals in eight games, and considering his record in recent years, that that's pretty decent for him, isn't it? And it's kind of trying to get back to the levels he'd shown at Ajax many many years ago. Now let's go to the final game, which was Ghent against Erpen. Yeah, Erpen should have been two or three goals up within the first couple of minutes of this one. They hit the crossbar off the line, forced a decent save from Nardi. Uh, some poor misses from I think it was Finn Bogerson missed quite a nice nice chance. A couple of other guys missed as well. They did finally take the lead. Decent play from Teddy Allo. Ball comes into Pantovic. He that kind of set opens himself up and then curls it into the far corner. 
past Nardi to make it 1-0. Really nice finish from him. His first goal for Erpen since joining from Union Berlin. Ghent had a massively uphill task, uh, made even harder for them when Gift Orban just decided to hit my favourite player that I still haven't learned how to say his name, Pashus. Uh, for Erpen, he gets himself sent off with a straight red card. Immediately, he's apologising to the to the Ghent fans for being an idiot, basically. Proper rush of blood to the head, and you could tell he just completely just lost himself for that moment. And that, that could have cost them. However, in the 48th minute, Izzy Brown is running into the box. He apparently gets tripped up by Reagan Charles Cook. I've seen lots of replays. I still can't quite see... It just looks really, really soft, but Charles Cook just doesn't really complain at, at all about the penalty decision. And to me, it looked really, really, really soft. I just couldn't really see much contact at all. I thought Brown probably could have stayed on his feet and crossed the ball. Hugo Kuiper steps up to take the penalty, uh, but Slanina saves it. Unfortunately for him, there's no one there to clear the ball and Coombs smashes in to make it 1-1. Literally, just under 10 minutes later, it's 2-1 Tisadali with a tap-in at the back post. And yeah, Urpen still had some chances after that. Again, from Bogerson missed uh, another close one. For Ghent, they were pushing the other way, but they just couldn't find the back of the net either. Plenty of added time in this one, but Urpen could not force anything past the 10 men. Ghent get another win that means they are top of the league. They've still got a game in hand on Anderlecht in second and they're two points ahead of them. Open, it's another defeat. That's now three defeats in a row. This one, I don't know. They Again, it's one of those games, isn't it, where like before the game, if you said you're going to lose 2-1 to Ghent, they'd have been like, okay, we've probably played quite well. But when you consider how long Ghent played the whole of the second half with 10 men and would go down, it would be really, really frustrating for Open, But... On the other hand, guys, for Ghent, in the past, these last couple of seasons, they've started really slowly, but this year they're finally having like a quicker start to the league. And I mean, they've kept the strikers as well, so they should really, really be in around that title race come the end of the season. Well, I think all things considered, they are they are the big winners of, of this weekend, especially with that game in hand. They're, they're, they're managing to, to do everything right at the moment, and most things are looking kind of quite rosy on their patch. Um, I was quite impressed by the fact that they managed to come from behind in the second half um, and, and turn the game around and win. You don't often see that um, when you've gone down to, to 10 men and, and, and the side that goes down to 10 is, is behind in the game. So that in itself, for me, is kind of quite impressive. But then when you look at the, the, the kind of offensive firepower they have at their disposal even with Orban being red carded then you know you're you're always going to still be be in a game Erpen didn't play badly Ben's right um created chances the frustrating thing is to have, have lost the game in the circumstances that they did I think if um if things had been different then you know maybe they would have come away with a, a point Big Hine will be absolutely delighted with that especially with them obviously them having such a busy schedule at the moment where with European football ongoing as well um, so managing to kind of, you know, yeah, do reasonably well on both fronts at the moment um, or well enough to stave off any real criticism, shall we say, that's probably the best way of putting it at the moment, then that's the absolute best he can he can hope for. Open will be all right, ultimately, I think. They, a bit like St. Truden, so far have been one of the surprises of the season for me. Yeah, they'll, they'll win some, lose some, but when you look at how they're playing generally, um, there, there, there are a lot more reasons to feel positive about 
about the pandas than than I would have imagined before the the, the start of the season. Only worry is if it if they continue the trend of the last two seasons, if their if their drop off has already started, which might be a bit early, of course, but plenty of time to to gather some points still, of course, and they place themselves in a good position already, of course, uh, so far. Yeah, but uh, still three losses in a row. A little bit concerning, despite Slonina finishing off the the uh, the keep goalkeeper saving penalties and um, and no penalties scored straight away in this uh, in this game. Sadly for him, of course, in this case, it's the only case that the rebounds uh, actually was converted, and that's in the end ultimately proved quite crucial. Whether that was a penalty is another big question. I would actually it depends if there was a little bit of contact, but I, I haven't seen it still if there is any contact. So I'm 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 very, very, very much not sure. Equally I'm not so sure if that red card of Orban yeah, okay. It it may it probably was a red card, but also like the passas definitely um did did add some things there, but uh that uh I I'm not sure if the referee had uh, made the right calls in both occasions there um anyway. But uh regardless of that, Hint indeed sole leader now of the pack with a game in hand. Not the easiest game, but uh, depending on, uh, I believe it's against Antwerp. So depending on how that game goes, uh, yeah, they might run away a little more or everything comes in closer, even uh, get, gets tighter even again as well. And Ghent are really strong in set pieces. I believe they got now six goals on set pieces scored this season already, which, um, yeah, is... Uh, as much as some teams have scored in total. You mentioned uh, if this is going to be the slide for Open, and I just went and looked at the next three games, and it really it, it could get quite bad for them. Uh, it could get slidey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Anderlecht, Antwerp and Union, two of those were away from home. I mean, they could be looking very, very easy at six defeats in a row. And then they are getting into kind of starting to worry a little bit because you think some other teams might pick up points. Then they have what Charlotte, St. Truden and Molenbeek. So kind of teams more in and around it that they'd want to pick up points against. But they're just one of those teams you just kind of got to keep an eye out for them because of that. Like you said, Joris, the way they kind of can start and then really, really just drop off a cliff very, very quickly. I'm sure Fluen Kofeld will be hoping that doesn't happen. But yeah, he's uh, had a, a patchy managerial track record, um, I guess you could say, at Werder Bremen and then at Wolfsburg. So yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. Let's quickly go through some European action uh, that happened this week. Barcelona... Uh, Antwerp travelled to Catalonia to face Barcelona and yeah, they got kind of a a royal welcome to the Champions League. 3-0 down within 22 minutes. Jao Felix, Robert Lewandowski and Yeli Batai with an own goal. Into the second half, Javi scored and Jao Felix made it 5-0. I mean, they were just completely dominated by Barcelona in this one. 70% possession to Barca, 22 shots, 10 of those on target. Antwerp and he managed three I think this was always going to be a really really tough test wasn't it guys like this first game of the Champions League away to Barcelona like no matter how good you think you are how far you've come that is that's a tough tough test again no matter what stage Barcelona are at in their kind of current situation you're going up against yeah like Lewandowski one of the best strikers uh, in European football um so how much can we read into it is this do we just completely write them out of their Champions League group stages now? Or do you think it's going to be one of those, actually, you've got that kind of drubbing out of the way. You can kind of 
relax a little bit more into the competition and just think, well, we're just here for the fun of it now. Let's just go and enjoy the rest of these games. Well, I think it's going to be very, very tough for them. And I think the target, obviously, is to, to finish third. So they drop into the Europa, really, to be honest. that's that, That's got to be uh, the the objective uh, from the group, anything uh, above that, obviously, is a, is a massive, massive bonus. I think the that, that opening game uh, was always going to be a hiding to nothing. Plenty of sides have gone to Spain and, and you know, been on the receiving end of, of, of a battering like that. And there'll be plenty of other sides in the future who, who that will happen to as well. It's just the reality of them not being on the same level. In fact, you know, obviously Barca are, you know, two or three levels up. Um, so it, it was just unfortunate that it panned out the way that, you know, often it does uh, for sides who, who are who are nowhere near their, their level. It was particularly unfortunate in a way that the game was effectively over in, in less than, in less in 20 minutes that was the thing that kind of you know frustrated me a little bit about it um but yeah no 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 shame in that at all from their perspective um but yeah they've, they've got to aim for third place in the group in terms i think of the the other the other belgian sides i think it was a bit of a, a bit of a mixed week to be honest a, a little bit of frustration mixed in there with a little bit of relief as well i think they were all fair results the other results um you know the other draws perhaps with the exception of a club Bruges and Besiktas I think club should definitely have won that game um couldn't manage to get it over the line unfortunately but you know all, all things considered and the the Barca result um aside um not, not not a bad opening weekend of European action weak of course but um yes uh yeah I'm no shame in that loss against Barcelona I believe all Belgian contestants in Europe for uh, more or less have gotten this kind of yeah, treatment by the big boys uh, sometimes. I guess Gent haven't in that one time they were there, but they also didn't have this really out-and-out top team in that group there. So, well, and in that sense, maybe it's good to get it out of the way. And, well, whether there's less pressure now, I do not think so necessarily, but it's good that it's out of the way anyway. And now, where now they can start focusing on, on getting the points where they would want them. Also, if they still would would uh, try to go through, uh, I, I don't think anyone would uh, in, uh, beforehand expect them to to get first spots. But who knows what happens with uh, with uh, the Shakhtar and Porto games? If they can get enough points out of there, maybe they have a shot at third, definitely, and maybe even second spot. But it's way too early to tell. The older European games, um, like Scott touched on, yeah, probably, yeah, Klubrugge definitely had uh, plenty of chances to win that game. Also, a bit of a sour one because uh, Turkey is the uh, is the one uh, that's uh, is the country that's closest and the biggest threat to Belgium at the moment in the coefficient list and. Uh, because of not winning that game, they actually had a slightly better week than Belgium had. If Klubringa would have won, then Belgium would have had a slightly better week. But on the other hand, um, uh, the positions that they team, that, that they are in, even if, and that's still far away, if Turkey would catch the Belgium, nothing changes in the European tickets. So uh, it's the same amount. It's more if there's uh, more as a buffer for in the future, if you look down. And of course, um, yeah, for looking up, we need to get uh, some more uh, wins, of course. But arguably, arguably uh, so many of the teams actually had their most difficult opponents uh, in this group. 
this first game week already. Yeah, and they got something out of it at least. But now it's of course still uh, a time for all them to to get the points where they want them or where they would have, would expect them to to take them. Yeah, and also I'll, I'll give the, the quick shout to uh, to Arne. Uh, Arno Tone, 32-20, I believe, I would say, uh, asked this question. Uh, can, you, can you guys comment on Enter's game uh, against Barcelona in the next episode, please? So, yeah, I think we just did that. I agree that I believe that what I, I said that last week, that they won't be able to compete in both competitions. Can't really make that full conclusion yet about, in, in like I said uh, before, the, the, can't draw any conclusions out of their uh first game against barcelona these are these are the kind of games that happens to uh to belgian sides in europe in the champions league specifically sometimes let's see what the future holds but yeah i am a bit wary uh, from the start i am i'm a bit skeptical about the depth in their squad uh who knows we'll see no, I don't know if that's a satisfying answer or not. Yeah, I think I agree. Definitely agree with that one. And um, yeah, I mean, Club Bruce should have easily beaten Besiktas. They had so many chances that they just completely wasted there. Uh, Union Toulouse, that was a feisty 1-1. There were tackles flying in, uh, in that one. And again, I thought Union were the better team, especially in the second half. I think they were definitely the better side. We didn't manage to catch any of Ghent against Soria because uh, that just wasn't on TNT Sports uh, for some reason. They were showing all the games last year, but this year I think they're being more selective and picky uh, with what they do show. But yeah, hopefully with the draws mean everyone's still kind of not worrying too much ahead of the second uh, match day, but it would be good to start getting some some three points on the board for all the Belgian sides involved. Scott, before we end this episode, why don't we jump into the challenger? I know we had a question kind of around a certain scenario uh, that I'll get into once you've done your roundup. But yeah, over to you for a bit of challenger league action. Yeah, so we've reached uh, match day six in the challenger pro league. Uh, what happened this weekend? Well, Patro Eisden drew one each with Dender. Zalta Varagam came from behind to win 2-1 against Denza, Sarang and Anderlecht. Futures drew one each. Club next steamrolled SL16 in the end, 4-1. Ustend and Jong Genk played out a two-all draw. Lommel's fine form continues. They won 3-0 at home against Franck Moran. Beveren's slightly ropey start, shall we say, continues. They lost 2-1 at home to RFC Liège, um, a stoppage time winner for RFC Liège there. And Liers, um lost 3-1 to Beershaw at Lisp. In terms of the big picture, uh, Lommel have gone back top. Um, Zalta are second, um, so they're they're leading the charge um, at the moment. Laers's uh, dodgy start to the season uh, sees them drop into the drop zone uh, after losing again this weekend. That was their third consecutive loss, and they've actually lost four of their opening six. It's very early days yet, but um, that's obviously disappointing for them. Top scorer at the moment, guys, is somebody uh, that I didn't think any of us or nobody will have um, picked this. This one out is actually RSC Liège striker Adriano Bertaccini, who's got six in six. So he's the main marksman of the moment in the division, managing to keep himself just ahead of Yelavossen and Zeno Gano at Zulta, who have five each. The one man I talk about in my pre-season preview about, about him. <laughs> so that's I'm glad that he found his way in this week. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And... Um... I think there was a, a on on Twitter 
Joe Gould, because we posted the uh, the highlights. So if you do want to go see some of the highlights of the goal, Joe Gould, who hosts the Best League podcast, or the Best League, which is a podcast on Icelandic football. Really, really good podcast. Definitely check it out if you're interested in uh, the crazy world of Icelandic football. It's very entertaining. Uh, he pointed out as well that we should talk about a certain Konstantinos Karetsas, uh, that, that 15-year-old kid at Young Genk who scored yeah, that goal against Ustem that he scored was really, really nice. A bit of skill in there to kind of absolutely f- kind of uh, fake out one of the Ustem defenders and then tuck it home. Unfortunately, it wasn't uh, the winning goal, uh, but they did get a two-all draw, as Scott said, with Ustem. So, yeah, he's definitely been adding to his own personal highlight reel this season. It's not going to be long until a lot of those kind of scouting Twitter accounts and that start to pick up on, on him and start posting videos about him. And then there'll be all these kind of YouTube videos of his clips and stuff like that. And it'll be a football manager wonder kid as well before you know it uh, on this year's edition. So shout out to him. That was a really, really nice goal from him and definitely worth checking out. If you have time, we did have a question on the challenger pro league. This one was sent to us by I believe it was Matt J. Ball. Kind of a hypothetical one, but one that's kind of we I'm sure it's kind of one of those classic things, isn't it? When people ask, has anyone got any questions? You have a question where you think you don't really know that you have a question that someone else asked a question. You're like, oh yeah, I kind of wanted to know that as well. And I feel like Matt's question is definitely one of those. He said, if strange things continue and Stanley Age get relegated at the end of the season, what happens to SL Futures? Because surely they can't play each other. Is this a fault of the B team system? Basically, Matt, if Standard do go down, uh, which I'm sure their fans don't want to hear, even contemplate, but if they did go down, no matter where SL16 are, let, let, I mean, obviously, if they get relegated, they get relegated from 1B and then it's fine. But even if they were like top of 1B, uh, they'd still be moved. Uh, they'd get relegated just because, yeah, they can't play in the same league together. So it has been thought about by the powers that be. They're not going to allow some sort of chaos situation where you've got SL16 taking on Stanley A. So they, maybe they'd give them a run for their money this year. Anyway, I think that is probably just about it from us this week. Uh, as always, guys, it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Yeah, an absolute delight. And uh, enjoy the action this week, everybody, because obviously we've got some some league games coming up over the next few days uh, before we even get to the next match day. Yes, finally, league. It's like actually right again. <laughs> the, 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 the amount of game day, uh, of matches plays will, will be better. And yeah, that's the only time it's actually really more clear to make con- a bit of conclusions and so on so i hope that this will help me <laughs> specifically and everyone in general to, to have a clearer view of how this season is going where it's where it's headed yeah absolutely so wednesday we've got antwerp against ghent and then we have thursday molenbeek against union and club bruges against genk so yeah as you said we'll be all caught up on matches played which um yeah it makes it a lot easier to draw some conclusions from those opening match days as per usual, if you like what we do, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And also, if you have any questions for us to answer on the podcast or off the podcast, just get in touch in the usual ways or the ways that people have, uh, especially through Twitter. We will, yeah, more than happy to answer any questions that come our way. But as usual, per usual, thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. 